Well, good morning, church. You may or may not agree with this statement, but I'll, let me say it. Uh, the most significant and important gifts in life are always worth fighting for. Just think about that. You, like I said, you may or may not agree with that, but we know this. The things we love come with a great price, and they are not free. And somewhere along the lines, there have been those who have dearly paid for the liberties that we enjoy today. On behalf of this church, I want to thank our veterans. Sometimes we forget what we have and we take it for granted. And our freedom is something that we have. We enjoy freedom. Many of us live today, we've always experienced freedom, but there are those out there that do not have freedom. And we, um, we know that a price was paid for us to experience and taste freedom. So this morning, I want to take a pause. As we know, yesterday was Veterans Day, and we remember those who have served and those who are serving. And I want to pause this morning uh, to say thank you to our veterans. So if you are here and you have served or you are still serving, would you please stand today so we can recognize you? And stay standing, please. For you and for the many others who have protected our nation, uh, for the men and women in uniform, uh, together as a church, we say thank you. Um, as, a, as a veteran, I have no idea what you have gone through and what you are still going through, but we say thank you. Um, so that's my first announcement. I guess I want to make sure you understand that we care. Um, another thing I want to I share this morning before we dig into God's Word um, is that as a church, uh, a little over a year ago, almost two years ago, we um, um, had an opening for a pastoral position in this church as Pastor Paul had resigned and moved on. And for the last year and a half or more, we have been praying about how to fill that position, whether it's finding somebody to take care of our youth or disciple uh, our, our, our church or provide caregiving, whatever it may be. We prayed over and over asking God for direction, and, and it became clear that we wanted to hire a pastor uh, that could help with this church growing closer to God, in other words, discipleship. And we also wanted to find a pastor that could help us connect better with each other. As this church grows and sometimes new families come in, it's like, you don't know each other. How do we help you connect to other church members and grow in your faith? And so uh, our focus became on that, praying over that. And after a very uh, thorough interview period and prayer, time of prayer, uh, we have offered that pastoral position uh, to Nick Hudson. And you may know uh, Nick and Sarah Hudson and their family. And you look at that and you say, oh, yeah, I've seen a lot of them around here. Um, and so we welcome them, and I'm, I'm going to have Nick, and I don't know if I'll leave it optional for Sarah to stand, but Nick, would you please stand so we can put of name and a face together. And there's Nick over there and Sarah, there you go. Thank you. Beginning uh, December 1st, uh, Nick will join our staff and begin to serve as this church's associate pastor of Karen Connection. And at that time, he will have opportunity to be up here and share a little bit more about him and his family and uh, his journey and what he, his hopes are for being here at True North Church. So we're excited about that. Um, and there's a lot going on in this church, but uh, we wanted to bring that to your attention. 
Uh, with that being said, would you please grab your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. Some of you maybe use your phones or tablets, whatever it may be. Uh, but we are going to be in a few different scriptures this morning. Uh, I believe the first place uh, we're going to be is Malachi. If you want to start looking, it's easy. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Just go backwards into the old. You'll find Malachi. Uh, or Malachi might be sitting in the back row back there. So anyway, uh, we continue our, on our series right now in the book uh, Rooted. It's a discipleship book. Some of you are going through it. Some of you are just uh, staying pace with us on Sundays. Whether you're in the book or here, um, you might have paid attention to the fact if you are one of those people that read the table of contents, you're like, hey, what are we going to be preaching on next week? You're like, oh, money. <laughs> and it's like, eh, the church is going to talk about money. So here's the thing. Oftentimes in the church, when the subject of money comes up, everybody, not say everybody, but a lot of people, their guard sort of goes up. Um, we squirm in our seats and we get ready to defend our, our bank accounts because we start questioning, like, why does the church have to talk about money? I mean, the government wants my money. The school wants my money. My kids want my money. Uh, inflation is all over the place. And now the church is going to come up and say, hey, pastor says he wants your money. I understand. Okay? So just let me say this real quick. Take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. What I'm going to share with you is what I've learned from God's Word. This subject can be taught on at a great length because the Bible speaks of it in great lengths. Just as much as you'll read about love in the Bible, you're going to read about giving in the Bible. And as you look through it all, you know, maybe some of you have gone through classes like Financial Peace University. You've heard some Dave Ramsey courses, some other things. Uh, maybe you've, you've, you've studied this in great lengths, and you're going to understand what is Rex going to say in 30 minutes that needs to be covered in 30 days, right, or, or whatever. I, I'll just say this. I'm going to share with you just a few key things. And I'm going to share with you, too, that sometimes, just as you might get uncomfortable and squirm in your seat, pastors get uncomfortable squirming behind the pulpit as well. Because sometimes when we talk on this subject, we want to make sure that you hear um, our hearts, not just the words. There are times when, as a pastor, um, I may preach on a topic or a subject, and it may come across possibly hurtful, or you may like take offense to it. And here's, here's what you need to know. It's never my intention to preach in a way that will bring dissension or hurt your feelings. Um, I'm aware that it's my duty to preach truth. And sometimes truth comes across hard. But it's also my duty to preach with grace and love, understanding that this topic may be difficult at times. So as I preach on the topic of giving... Take a deep breath with me. Okay. All right, first thing I want you to know is this. Everything that we have belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Uh, we're just stewards. We're just stewards of what God has given us. We can go all the way back to the very beginning of time. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 in creation. And God creates all these things, right? And after he gets done with all creation, the last thing he creates is mankind. And then he looks at mankind and says, okay, now I'm giving you purpose you're going to be a steward of it all. You're going to take care of it all. I created it. It belongs to me, but I'm going to have you take care of it. That, that's where we start to understand this, this principle of stewardship. But somewhere along the line, as time has gone on, as sin enters this world, we go from stewardship to entitlement. As if it's, no, it's actually mine. I, I own it. I paid for it. 
And really, we're stewards of it, but we, we take that entitlement. A very way, simple way to understand this is just go back to kindergarten or preschool. Okay? Just observe sometime. You maybe you can think back to this moment, but you watch a little kid come into the classroom. There's, there's art supplies and all kinds of fun toys. And that little boy maybe goes over and grabs a truck off the shelf, okay? And he gets over and he starts playing. Vroom, vroom. And then another little kid comes over and they go to touch it. And they're like, no, mine, right? We see it. We see him square off right away. And maybe I'll take two or three steps over here and, vroom, vroom, and start playing again because it's mine, you know? And we sort of set the territory, right? Is it really mine? It belongs in the classroom. You see, when I entered the classroom, I just get to be a good steward of that toy or that marker or that paper. It's the same way as we've landed here on earth. We're just stewards of this. It does not belong to us. We're just stewards of it. In Psalm 24, verses 1 to 2, David says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Here's the thing. David was a successful king of a small little place called Israel, right? And there were other kings and there were other great nations, whether it was Egypt or Assyria. And they could have very well said, boy, I've just, my God's the God of this little, this little area right here. No, he knew that God was the God of all territory. And he, he'd probably never been 100 miles out of Jerusalem. We don't know for sure, but Maybe the Mediterranean Sea, maybe the Dead Sea is all that he saw, but he refers back into creation, looking at the God of all the earth and saying, take it into account, God created all the land and all the seas and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. He, he's the creator of all things. So here's the first thing we need to understand. We're just stewards of it all. Here's the second thing we need to know. We need to honor God with our wealth. So that which we have we're stewards of, and we need to honor God with it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 to 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now, going off this whole honoring God, now look in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1. Because in Malachi chapter 1, this is like 5th century B.C., messenger of God has this incredible message for God's people. These people have been in exile in Babylon. They've been free. They've been out of there for about 100 years. The temple's been rebuilt. They're back to worshiping God, trying to sacrifice and do all these feasts. But here's the thing. In this movement, in this time, they've also listened to various other prophets who said all these great things about what was to come, and they're still waiting. Yeah, we're, we're back into our land where we were, and it's not the greatest, and we tried to rebuild things, we're trying to do things. But I remember the words of Haggai and Zechariah, and there were all these promises to be fulfilled. They've not happened yet, so God, you must not be showing up. So that's how the attitude of the people are in this moment. So Malachi shows up with a message from God. And the first thing that God says is this in verse 2. I have always loved you, says the Lord. But, but you retort, really? How have you loved us? Could, could you imagine that? And it's like God goes, starts to go, hey, I want to tell you all something. I know it's been a rough, rough go. But I've always loved you. But you're asking me, how has God loved us? 
Really? I mean, how can, how can you ask it? Have you not forgotten all that I've done? Time after time, you were in Egypt. You were slaves. I freed you. You were taken captive, taken to Babylon, and I freed you. Every time you've been taken captive, I have freed you. I love you. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3 says this. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with my everlasting love. Our love is fickle, right? We, some, we, can, we can stop loving somebody in, a, in the flip of a switch, right? God says, I've got an everlasting love for you. You're my people. And I will love you forever. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And yet the people were saying, yeah, do you really love us, God? Do, do you really love us? How does God respond to this? So he begins in the next few verses, he tells the story of Jacob and Esau. If you've never read the story of Jacob and Esau, read it as as these twins are born. One's pulling at the heel of the other. One's wanting to take the position of the other. And these two children that come out actually are two different nations that we are still seeing issues with today in the Middle East. But in that scripture, as you read that story, God showed Jacob grace and mercy. Neither Jacob nor Esau deserved God's love, but God showed them both love. And in Romans chapter 11, I'm sorry, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 11, it says this. But before they were born, that's Jacob and Esau, before they had done anything good or bad, she, their mom, received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to their own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. So she was told, your older son will serve the younger son. In the words of the scriptures, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I'll show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. I cannot choose whether God loves me. I cannot choose whether God loves you. God chooses. It is his mercy. It is his grace. He gets to decide. And he loves us. Not not based on our works or our efforts. Oh, you went to church? I love you even more, Rex. Oh, you've been reading your Bible? Good job, Rex. I love you even more. If that's our mindset, we have the wrong mindset. God does not love us more or less based on those kind of things. If God says he loves you, that's it. Period. And that's what God says. I love you. And here's, here's a problem. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been abused. Some of us have been mistreated. Our, our, our present and even our past is so scarred by, by things that have taken place, it's easy to question whether or not God loves you based on that. What you need to know is God's love for you is not based on your past or your present. God loves you, period. This world is cruel and this world is evil and God will change that. He wants you to experience his love. Look back at verse six, Malachi chapter one, verse six. The Lord of heaven's army says to the priest, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. 
Then you ask, well, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals or sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to the governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. See, here's the thing. God deserves our highest praise. As we were singing this morning, we sang that. That he deserves our highest praise. That he deserves all the glory, all the honor. And that's what these people were supposed to be doing as well. It's like, we want to show you respect, but they were not showing God respect. What these people were doing with worship, they had made it trivial. They had taken this act of worship, and instead of giving their best, they were bringing their leftovers, their crippled animals. We were supposed to bring your best to God, to the altar. And it's like, oh, I'm just, that, cram, that lamb there is crippled, or that lamb there is blind. Ooh, that one's really messed up. I'll give that one to God, you know. That's what they were doing. And, and some of us are like, now why would they ever do that? We've done that. I've done that. Uh, do you ever get those canned food drives, those the Boy Scouts where somebody stops by and they leave off that little leaflet? Hey, going to be swinging by, picking up some canned goods. You're like, oh, yeah, I got some canned goods. You go to the cupboard, you swing through the cupboard. Let's uh, see. Ooh, yeah, no, chunky soup. Mm, I like that. SpaghettiOs, yeah, no. Um, spinach expired 2020. Yeah, they can have that one. You know, and what else in there? Yeah, not, that's... I don't even, can't even read it. Yeah, I'll give them that one. This, that's what we do, isn't it? It's like, I'm not going to eat it. I'll let them eat it. Guilty, okay? I, it's like, why would I do that? Well, because I'm not going to eat it. I feel good about myself. I'm giving them something that I wouldn't eat. Oh, wait, they probably won't eat it either, will they? And that's what they were doing with these crippled lambs and these blind lambs. It's like, here, God, you can have that. <laughs> I wasn't going to do anything with it anyway. It was a runt, right? It wasn't their best. It was their leftovers. We, we have the holidays coming up, so some of you are probably going to host people at your house. You, you, you tell me what you're going to do when they come over to your place, A or B. Okay, here's, here's choice A. A is, let's see, you go to the fridge, you look in the back. Oh, there's the Tupperware container that had mac and cheese in it from last week. So you dump it out, and it comes out in all square, you know, because it's molded now, right? And then you go to the cupboard, you got a bag of chips that have already been opened. You're like, oh, I need to get rid of these anyway, and there's a lot of the crumbs, okay? Hey, happy Thanksgiving, right? Or B, you spend the day baking, making things fresh to serve. Now, my guess is all of you are choosing B unless you're home by yourself doing leftovers, okay? But if you are going to serve somebody, you have a special guest coming over, and you want to honor them, you give your best, right? That's what God is asking here. God gave us the greatest sacrifice ever, his son. He gave us the greatest gift ever, his love. He gave us the greatest hope ever, eternal life. And what is our response to all these great things that God gives us? What does he deserve? Does he deserve our best or our leftovers? So God created all these things. He says, I want you to be a good steward of it. So we have it. And so like, okay, so now I want to honor God with what I've been given. I should give him my best. Actually, it's his. So I should probably give that to him, right? So God says, you know what? Going back to Malachi, he goes, let me tell you all how I feel about your crippled animals. Look at verse 10. 
How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. But my name is honored by people of other nations till morning, till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you're saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among all nations. See, God owns all things. He deserves all things to be given back to him. And there's a cost for giving our best. It may cost me more, less sleep, less time on the, on the TV or on a, playing a game or on social media. It may cost me more serving. It may cost me to give more out of my, out of my finances. There's always a sacrifice, right? What do we have to sacrifice to give to God? Everything belongs to him. So honor him with our wealth. And these people were like, I'm giving you my crippled. And God said, I should just shut the door in a temple. Could you imagine if God were to just, just examine our hearts this morning and how we are with giving back to him? And if he, if he were to sit here and look at True North, what would he say? Would we show up next Sunday with the doors locked, signs posted, I come walking up, I'm like, and there's a big sign that says, the temple doors are shut. God. It's like, God, why, do you, why, why, are the, why is our church doors shut? Why can't we come in here and worship on Sunday morning? Because God's like, you're giving me, you're crippled. You're giving me, you're sick. I want your best. I gave you my best. What do I deserve? Next thing is to guard against greed. Everything belongs to God. Honor God with our wealth. And then here's the next one. Guard against greed. Not hard to fall into the trap of greediness, isn't it? I mean, you think about what greed is. It's that, that intense desire for something. It can be wealth. It could be power. It could be pleasure. Whatever it is, we, we basically we see something and we just want more and more. And I'm telling you something. They're, they're, you'll never get enough. That's what greed is. Greed is just that it's so intense. It's like, oh, I got my salary. I, I want another one. And then another one, it's like, it's like a contract with a professional athlete. It's like they always want more. I've never seen a professional athlete, and very rarely will you ever see a professional athlete say, you know what, you're paying me way too much. Wow, you know what, why don't you just cut my salary in half? Probably won't happen because there's always that desire for more. Not just money, but winning things, achieving things, being with more people, having whatever it might be. There's that intensity, and Jesus says, guard against it. In Luke chapter 12, he warns us to guard against greed. A gentleman had come up to him and, and said, Hey, teacher, tell me how to divide my brother and I's, our, our father's estate between my brother and I. Well, here's, there, there was already a rule set in place. The older gets two-thirds, the younger gets one-third. One but this guy comes, Hey, Jesus, you want to help us divide our estate? Jesus comes back to him and says, Friend, who made me a judge over to decide such things for this? 
And then he said, be, be aware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he goes into this story talking about a man who, a farmer had this rich, fertile soil, and he produced a lot of crops. And he said to himself, what should I do with all my crops? He said, I know, I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll have room for us to store all my wheat and all my other goods. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Eat, drink, be merry. God said to him, you fool. You're going to die this very night. Then who will get everything you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. You know, in the, the story here, it's that thing of he was so worried about what he was holding on to in his hands, he was not concerned about what was going on in his heart. And when we would live with that kind of attitude, that our life consists of what we possess, and we get caught up in chasing after things that fill our pockets, it's called covetousness, which is basically chasing an idol. And he used this story. Jesus used this story of a man with a business. And listen, it's okay to have a business. It's okay to own a business. It's okay to have wealth. It's, but here's the problem. He became greedy with it. He was more concerned, again, about what was in his account and in his pockets and what was in his heart. He was, he was not rich towards God like he should have been. How do we guard against this kind of greed? Well, in the book of 2 Corinthians, you can turn there if you want. 2 Corinthians, we learn about godly giving. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you're going to come across this chapter uh, this week in Rooted. And in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, um, in this scripture, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a volume of preaching on giving. And I've got like eight minutes left to do this. So I'm going to just quickly sprint through a few principles that are found in this scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. One of the first things we read in verse 6 is this. It says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And Now here, some of you believe, in, in, in you, or at least you've heard of it for sure, karma, the word karma. Oh, that's karma. Right? Can I remind you, karma is an Eastern religion uh, term used. Okay? As a Christian, we, we, don't, we don't deal with karma. Okay? If you walk around as a Christian and say, I believe in karma, please don't do that anymore. Okay? Uh, be, because, again, that's an Eastern religion. We have a biblical principle that sounds pretty close to karma, and that is what you sow, you reap. If, if I am generous, I will see generous things happen, right? Or if I am greedy, I will see negative things maybe take place in my life. That's that whatever you sow, you reap. That's, that's talked about often through Scripture. First thing you understand this. There's a principle in giving of sowing and reaping. When, when you give back to God, you are planting something that you know will eventually come back with some kind of harvest. Not saying it's going to be material but it most likely would be spiritual. Here's the second thing, verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Second principle about giving is there's no exact formula that I can share with you today. Old Testament, we know about the 10%, the tithe, the 10%. And actually the Levites had another rule that if you didn't give 10%, you were charged 20%, so there was another tax in there, so to say. But when you get to the New Testament, 
Jesus doesn't talk about the 10%. Jesus talks about giving out of the heart. It's a generosity thing. It's, it's a thing that where the Spirit leads you like, man, I, I know that they gave 10%, but Jesus like, you probably can give more. It's out of your heart, right? Go on to read this. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Here's the third principle. It's called your attitude of giving. Don't give grudgingly, but you give cheerfully. What kind of attitude do you have when you give? Verse 5 says, So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. And I understand there are times when you may be at a concert, you may be at an event, you may even be at a church where somebody gets up front and they just start spilling on like, we got this going on and we got this going on. And, and, uh, and then they start showing stories of, of people that are in really bad shape. And it's like, you know, and if each of you get today, just gave $35 a month, that kid will stop crying right now. Right? And you're like, oh, yeah, I don't want that kid to cry. And, and all of a sudden, what I feel like it wasn't God that was telling me to give. I felt it was like some man was telling me how to give. And now I'm giving grudgingly. And, and we're warned in Scripture, don't be giving grudgingly. Pray about it. I mean, if, if you feel you need to give to help a kid stop crying, pray about that. And if God says, give, then you give. But never should we feel pressure, nor should we ever feel give in a grudgingly or negative attitude. Verse 11 goes on to say this. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way, so you can always be generous. And when we take our gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will be joyfully expressing their thanks to God. Here's another principle in giving. When we give back to God, God's work gets done and the church is rejoicing and God gets the glory. When I think about what happened last year with the youth group going on a mission trip, a lot of you gave and you're like, hey, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll, I'll give this money and I'll give this money. Your money that you gave beyond, above and beyond what you would normally give on a Sunday to, to give back to God, when you gave to them, they were able to do God's work and they came back and you heard the praise reports. You heard the excitement. You saw kids, some of you parents, you're like, I didn't recognize my kid when they came back. They were different. And you praise God for that. Part of when we give, a biblical principle in giving is, is that the church rejoices and give God the thanks. When you give, our budget for this church is able to be fulfilled, which means, yeah, maybe salaries and the, the lights get, get turned on and there's certain things that we do, maybe adding a structure or something. But you know what also happens? Missionaries are taken care of. Ministries expand. And God gets the glory in that. Finally, this, our giving proves our faith. You know, our faith is established in trusting God's grace. God gives us what we do not deserve, and we trust that, right? He gives us salvation. God's gener generosity is, I want to provide salvation for all who repent, for all who believe in me. And as we repent and as we change, we put on this new life, and this new life is displayed with new actions, new words. As a Christian, I'm not the same that I used to be when I was not a Christian, which means now my new life shows a new way of living. This new way of living is also reflected in how I give to others and how I give to the church. I know Christmas is coming, and you're all going to remember the story of Scrooge. Now, just real quick, if you remember the story of Scrooge, he was stingy, he was greedy, 
And then he had that night when he was changed. And the next morning, he's out giving everything away, right? That's what I'm talking about. But let's put it in a biblical picture. Zacchaeus, he was stingy. He was a tax collector. He was greedy. He took more than what he should have been taking. Then he met Jesus. Remember, he climbed that little sycamore tree to look down and see Jesus. Like, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus like, my house? Your house. He went to his house. Zacchaeus repented of what is going on in his life. And what did he do? He took all that tax money that had been taken from people and gave back even more so. That's what happens when you are changed spiritually. Another biblical principle is giving is this. Giving is reflected, or our faith is reflected in our giving. It's part of what we do. Let me just conclude with this. It's on the bottom line right up there. Trust God. Out of all these biblical principles that I've been trying to share with you, like I said, there's so much more. You can dig a lot deeper in this. But to me, this is sort of the the start right here. The last one is to trust God. Which one do we trust? Our finances or God? There are times, I get it, when we look at our bank accounts, we feel a little bit more peace when there's more in it than when there's less in it, right? But who do we trust? Do we, do we trust what's in our pocket or do we trust what's in our heart? Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God told us you can't serve both. Which one do you trust? We can worry about all these things we have in our life, but which one do you trust? Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, here's the simple thing. Every time you pull out your wallet or your purse, because we use credit cards and and maybe Apple Pay or whatever, a lot of times we don't actually pull out the bills anymore or the coins, but you know what it does say on our currency? In God we trust. Isn't it funny that on all the stuff that we grasp onto, tells us who we're supposed to put our trust in. Instead of trusting what we're holding in our hands, it's to remind us, in God we trust. Again, it's not so much about what we have in our hands as it's what we have in our hearts. Everything we have belongs to God. Honor God with your wealth. Give him your best, not your leftovers. I'm not just talking finance. Talk about everything as our worship, Right? Guard against greed. Recognize when you are chasing after things more than you're chasing after God. If you put things in front of God, take a pause. Take a pause and figure that out. That needs to change. And then understand this. Godly given is a reflection of where you are and here in your heart. Trust him. Trust him. When things get tight, trust him. Would you stand, please? There's a more to that story in Malachi, and you can read through the devotion, uh, the relationships, and then in chapter 3 gets into God saying, you know what? You want to test me? Bring it all to the altar. You will never outgive what I can give back to you. Like a lot of times, maybe sometimes we're not so much financially want to let go of things, but spiritually we don't want to let go of things. It starts in your heart. If you're still holding on to things in your heart, saying, I'm going to trust other things before you trust God, start right there. Repent of that. It matters what you believe in here because then that will change what you're doing out here.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for a reminder that all we have is yours. It all belongs to you. And God, some of us have more than others. And it's not about who has what or who has how much. But what really matters is where our heart is with you. Do we truly see you as the God of this universe? Do we truly worship you and praise you? Do we truly bring our gifts to you and say, this goes to you, God? Or are we giving our leftovers? Heavenly Father, search our hearts. Help us, Lord, to surrender to you. I thank you, Lord, for the greatest gift you ever gave us. Salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I thank you for eternal life in your presence. I thank you, Lord, for those gifts that you have given us. So, Heavenly Father, here's our surrender to you. Hear our prayers. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.